0: Then this Jesus is for you, do you understand? If you're here struggling with any issue that, they, uh, that life brings you, this Jesus is for you. Well, again, in this passage of Scripture, as I said before, I want you to see the wonderful power and compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ towards this man. And the first thing I want you to see or understand by way of this passage of Scripture, even before we get into the fifth chapter here, is the context of this passage. Now, you should be aware, for those of you who have been with us for some time, that this gospel of Mark really is all about the breaking in of the kingdom of God into the kingdom of of this world, that it is the establishment of the kingdom of God. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ is doing. He is establishing his kingdom here in this fallen world, and he is doing this by various ways. As we said before in the fourth chapter, it was all about parable. You remember in the beginning in Mark chapter 1, we had the great statement uh, that was given concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the, uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He, came, he comes preaching the gospel, again, breaking in the kingdom, if I can put it that way. And what he's been doing all the way through this is he's been establishing his authority. And so when we come to this fifth chapter, in one sense, we're still dealing with that great question that we saw at the end of the fourth chapter. And in the fourth chapter, after Jesus calmed the sea, do you remember what the disciples said? What manner of man is this? And it's the same thing that confronts us now. What manner of man is this? Who is able to to free individuals from this kind of oppression? What manner of man is this? It's the manner of man who has come to be the savior of sinners. That's who we're dealing with here. And so what we see in this passage of scripture, as I said before, is the content, is the context of the chapter. It's very interesting. One commentator says this uh, Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Mark as overcoming the rule of Satan is really what this gospel is all about. He is breaking the power of darkness and establishing the kingdom of God. And again, there's a sense in which there's always an appeal and always a call and always something of a pressure placed upon those who hear the gospel to say within themselves, yes, I will take up this king, I will follow this king, and I will be a part of his kingdom. And I say to you again here in the preaching of this entire gospel, are you understanding this? Are you embracing this? Are you coming to own Jesus Christ for your own? Are you coming to see, again, that this life must be lived within the context of what he gives by way of conduct in the kingdom? Well, that's the first thing that I want you to see, again, the context of the chapter. Once again, the breaking into the kingdom of God. But the second thing I want you to see, and this brings us right to the text, is the condition of the man. As I said before, what we see by way of this man's condition is that uh, this man was a miserable man. He was in a pitiable condition. Uh, everything that we see by way of this man, we see him as uh, as uh, as again a man who, uh, in one sense, we're either frightened of, or who our hearts go out to. He's a man that, in one sense, we really don't know what to make of. There he is again, uh, somebody who would be a, a frightening subject to be in the presence of, and then maybe. He might be somebody who, if we'd look from a distance and from afar, we would have pity on him. This man, again, <clears throat> of all the things that afflict him, primarily what we see is this, is that here was a man under the possession of demonic forces. What a sad and what a horrible thing for an individual to be in. And as I said before, I want you to know and understand, these things still happen today. Sometimes I, 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 I hesitate to go into these type of things uh, if I can look around, very few, only you know, really one young. And sometimes I hesitate to do this because I don't want to uh, scare or or make uh, or have uh, young ones think in ways that maybe their, their minds are, are kind of run amok. I don't want that to happen. But we have to talk about these things, don't we? That there is a reality of wickedness. There are the forces of evil in hell. And both young and old alike need to be aware of this. And you need to be aware, as we said here before, as as I said before, that as we see on the pages of of this passage of Scripture, there are still individuals who suffer under the same affliction. Sometimes this affliction, again, is is, is brought on by purposeful acts. Sometimes this affliction is kind of just uh, slowly entered into. Sometimes this affliction is, is never something that was sought after. But when an individual turns around and sees where he's at, he can't believe he or she is there. That's what happens oftentimes. And so what we see here is, again, this pitiable man. This man upon whom I would hope and pray that if we would see in our day, we would have compassion on. And though we may be afraid to, to even get in this man's presence, yet we would certainly pray for this man. We would speak to this man about the power of Christ and the gospel. And that's, again, as as I said before, that's what we have here. Notice again, verses 1 through 7. And when he went out, uh, uh, verses 1 through 7 of of, of Mark chapter 5. Again, and, and they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. Now, one of the things you need to know about the country of the Gadarenes is it was a it was Gentile area. It wasn't so much controlled, by it wasn't a Jewish area. And this is part of the reasons why we see the, the pigs uh, uh, being herded. Uh, the Jews wouldn't have done this, but the, but the Gentiles certainly would have. And there's some question as to whether this man was Jewish or was he, or was, was he Gentile. Uh, some think that he may have been Jewish who was, who was uh, sent abroad that uh, his people wanted to not have nothing to do with him. And so they sent him abroad to the, to the places of the, uh, of the Gentiles. Whether or not the man's Jewish or Gentile to one sense really doesn't matter. Because what we see is that this is a man, again, as I said before, who was oppressed by sin and by the host of hell. And we see again, there's something of the nature of the man. Look here in verse 2. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. And that's the first thing that we have by way of the description of this man. He was a man that was possessed with an unclean spirit. Now there are many things when we look at this man that we can say, well, this may have been a psychological affliction that he had. This may have been a mental condition that he was in. But when all is said and done, he was possessed by an unclean spirit. And there was no, if I can say it this way, no normal unclean spirit. It was a legion that was in this man. We'll see this here shortly. But this was the, this was the man's overriding affliction. That he was oppressed by this demonic uh, host. And this is the thing that we see. And it's interesting how many times in the Gospel of Mark we have this designation of, uh, of demons as unclean spirits. Oftentimes the word unclean is very closely associated with sexual impurity or filthiness, uncleanness in a moral sense. And this is again what this man was afflicted with. We see also not only did he, uh, was he afflicted uh, or possessed by this demon or these demons, we also see of the man, notice this in verse 3, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man can bind him, no, not with chains. The next thing that we see is this, is this man again was isolated. And whether this isolation was brought on by him personally, or whether this isolation was imposed on him by others, we don't know. But here was this man isolated. The scripture says that he was in the tombs. Now, what's interesting here is that the tombs of that day would have been holes cut out on the side of a hillside. Uh, caves uh, we, would be the more uh, appropriate way to say it. And this man, this is where he made, this is where he stayed. Why? Again, we don't know exactly why. Was he, was he more at ease with the dead than he was the living? Did he, was he so, again, uh, was he so afflicted by those uh, around him that they chased him into these caves? We don't know. But there he was. He was isolated. Today, we would call him homeless. We would call him destitute. And we wonder when we see individuals in this situation, oh, is there there something more than just meets the eye there? And so here he was again, possessed of an unclean spirit. There he was again, isolated. Notice again in verse 3, and no man can bind him, no, no, not with chains. This man, for some strange reason, possessed this kind of great uh, physical strength. That's a bizarre thing. And again, we see things like this, don't we? We, we see accounts. Maybe we, we, we look at these things on, 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 on videos or maybe we hear accounts of this where it takes a, a three, four, five, six, seven policemen to subdue one man. What's going on there? You know, sometimes it's, it's drug-related. We know that. We understand it. But other times it's not. What's going on there? You, know, you see these things that we see in this man how many times do we see when we look around. Verse 4 Because he had been often bound with fetters and chains and been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broke him in pieces. Now, notice this last part of verse 4 Neither could any man tame him. The word there, tame, is to, to, is the word for subdue. This man was uncontrollable. This man was in such a state that, again, nothing could be done to to help this man. He was uncontrollable. He was, again, unable to be bound in any way. Nothing could subdue him. I almost wonder by this, uh, uh, would, would there have been an attempt uh, to, 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 to not only uh, deal with this man physically, would have there been attempts to deal with this man, uh, at least in their day, as much as they were able to, mentally or, or psychologically? Were there attempts to calm this man down? Were there attempts to reason with this man? We don't know. All we know is this is, that this, is that this man is in a miserable and pitiable condition. And again, what we're seeing here is this. This reminds us, does it not, of the effects of sin. I think this is very interesting. I've, I've said this so many times. That sin is a liar when it's all said and done. That sin promises so much and delivers so little. Sin always takes more than what it ever promised. And we're always worse on the other end of sin than than we would have been if we would have stayed away from it. And this is the picture that we get in this man. Again, we don't know how this man was in this condition. But I want to say almost almost without doubt, I don't think he was born in that situation. Oh, how did this man get here? What did he toy with in his life? What brought him to this point? What brought him to the point to where he was now again in bondage, not by chains? You see, the chains couldn't keep him in bondage, but his sin and, and demons sure kept him in bondage. And so this man, as I said before, he's a, he's a pitiable individual. He reminds us of what the effect of sin is in a life. And I want you to see something. Let's not lose sight of the man as an individual. You see, this man at one day was at one time was a boy. This man at one time was that boy who was held in his mother's arms. This this, this man is that boy who one day was was coddled by mother and father. This this man was a, was a somebody was a boy at one time who enjoyed friends and family. But look at the man now. What did sin do to this man? How did Satan get a hold of this one? He reminds us, does it not, of John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. You see again what folly individuals fall into, thinking they can get more from sin than they can get from a Savior. A.W. Tozer says this about the hatred of Satan for for the people of God. He says the following. He says if Satan opposes the new convert. He opposes still more bitterly. The Christian who is pressing on. Toward a higher life. Do I see any who are pressing on. To a life of greater obedience. To the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope I do. I hope we've all moved on from that idea. That hey I'm just I'm saved. That I'm getting to heaven. I'm good with that. And I'll just kind of play it out. Until I get there. Get rid of those ideas. Learn what it is to live in the joy of being sold out for the glory of God. You'll never be bored, brothers and sisters. So Tozer goes on to say again, he opposes more bitterly the Christian that is pressing on to our higher life in Christ. The spirit filled life is not, as many suppose, a life of peace and quiet and pleasure. It is likely to be something quite the opposite. Tozer goes on Satan hates the true Christian for several reasons. One is that God loves him. And whatever is loved by God is sure to be hated by the devil. Another is that the Christian, being a child of God, bears a family resemblance to the Father and to the household of faith. A third reason is that the true Christian is a former slave who has escaped from the galley, and Satan cannot forgive him for that affront. A fourth reason is that a praying Christian is a a constant threat to the stability of Satan's government. Uh, the Christian is a holy rebel loose in the world with access to the throne of God. Satan never knows from what direction this danger will come. Who knows when there will be another Elijah raised up, another Daniel, another Luther, another, another Luther. You see, again, there is, I look out and what do I see? Yes, I see brothers and sisters here for the for the worship of God. But again, what God can do in and through you And so Satan is not at ease with this. But again, we see here the the effects of sin in the life of this man, this man oppressed by Satan, this man oppressed by a demonic ward. But the other thing I want you to see is this. Don't lose sight of this man, not only as we see him as an individual. Let's not lose sight of this man as a picture of what sin can and will do to humanity. Sin Sin is a destroyer. Do not lose sight of this. Sin destroys individuals. Sin destroys homes. Sin destroys families. Sin destroys societies. Sin is a destroyer. And if you think I'm misinformed on this, look what happens even to the life of this man when we're going to see other things as well. So there we see the condition of this man. It is, as I said before, a pitiable condition. But the other thing I want you to see here, uh, by way of this passage of scripture, is not only the uh, is not only the condition of this man. The next thing I want you to see here is also uh, the, the command of Christ as he is now uh, confronted by this man. Now look here as we go on in verses uh, uh, 5 and 6. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. And again, I, I, I meant to say something here uh, in, in, with this fifth verse. And so just allow me to back up a little bit. Uh, notice again what we see by way of the condition of this man. Always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying. Crying. Why is he crying? Because sin brings misery. Crying. And notice what else he was doing. He was cutting himself. He was engaged in all this kind of self-destructive behavior. And now again, we we do hear in our day of people cutting themselves. We certainly know in our day of people involved in this self-destructive behavior. And again, as I said before, this is the effect of sin. Whatever psychological uh, uh, malady may be taking place, what we're seeing in the life of this man is it was all result of sin and all result of uh, demonic uh, oppression. And so this man, again, is dealing with all these things. So in verses, uh, in verses 7 and 14, we read the following. And again, this is the command of Christ to, the, to, to this man. And he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of, of, a son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he had asked him, What is thy name? Let's stop right there. And the first thing I want you to see here is the command of Christ. And again, I'm kind of moving somewhat fast here. Uh, I'm not getting into all the details of the text and and just allow me that because I do want to get to the end of the passage here. But let's take a look at some of the things that we see here by way of this command of Christ. And the command of Christ is given specifically to the demons in this man to come out. It is a command not so much to the man. It is a command to the demons to come out of the man in whom they have found residence. And again, what's interesting is the way that the demons respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice, did you see that there in verse 7? What, uh, um, uh, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. And I want you to understand a couple of things. Consistently, in the Gospel of Mark, whenever Christ has been confronted by demons, or whenever demons have been in the presence of Christ, they have always confessed the reality of his nature. Go back just a few pages to, to Mark chapter 1, verse 24. Verse 24. Mark chapter one verse twenty four. Here we had a man in a synagogue again that was possessed of a of a demon. It gets a strange thing, a man in a synagogue. What's he doing there and what's he doing there? A man possessed with a demon, but he, there he was. And notice what we see in verse twenty four. Again, we can, say, we can start in verse 23. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. There's that same designation again. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, Jesus, uh, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. It's the same, it's the same designation. If you go to chapter 3, verse 11, we see, uh, we see essentially the same thing. Chapter 3, verse 11. And the unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. Now, what's interesting, if I can kind of take a step back and take a larger picture of the Gospel of Mark, what's interesting is this, the entire first part of the Gospel of Mark is working up to the 8th chapter. And I think it's in the 8th chapter, I think it's the 37th verse. Jesus asks the disciples the question, who do men say that I am? And Peter gives his great confession, thou art, uh, thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And then from that point, from Mark chapter uh, 8, I believe verse 37, afterwards, Jesus is proving that out. In the first part of the gospel, he's developing that. After that high point, he's proving that out. And what we see happening here again is that the demons are recognizing this. They know who he is. And we don't see any confession of Jesus as the son of God until we see Peter giving it. And then when we see it in the centurion, when the Lord Jesus Christ is being crucified. But that's the aim of this gospel. That's how the gospel is working. But what we see again here, as I said before, is the command of Christ to come out of the individual. Now, I want you to see something here. That this command of Christ, you must understand, is not only an act of authority. It most certainly is that but it is also an act of compassion. And what I would call you to recognize is this, is that every act of deliverance from sin is a compassionate act. That every call to forsake sin is a compassionate act. That every act of deliverance from demonic and sinful bondage is a compassionate act. And you need to hear that today. You know why? Because there are people who want to stay in their sin today who would be greatly offended should you ever call them away from their sin. There are people who are more than happy to be whistling on their way to the pit of hell and don't want to be disturbed as they go there. But I'm saying to you, even though you may be despised for it, and even though people may be offended by it, it is a compassionate act on your part to call a sinner away from his sin. And that's what our Lord Jesus Christ is doing here. He is commanding again the demons to come out of the man. It was compassion that, he, that our Lord was having toward this man. And that's what our Lord says, I believe in verse, uh, in verse 19, that we're going to see it here shortly. He says, go and tell your friends how great compassion the Lord had on thee." And I want you to know and understand that every time you preach the gospel, it's an act of compassion. Every time you call love from love them away from sin, it's an act of compassion. Every time you make a case for the cause of Christ, it's an act of compassion. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, again, by way of this command, is enacting acting, an act of great compassion. Now, when we read this passage of scripture, sometimes we're set back a little bit because we we have here uh, in verse nine, after our Lord says, come out of him in verse eight and verse nine. And he asked him, what is thy name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. A lot of times it, uh, you'd be surprised how many questions come up at this point. And the questions basically are this was the Lord Jesus Christ kind of establishing some kind of uh, 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 formula for exorcism. There are a lot of people in our day who, when they encounter, again, uh, these these forces of darkness, uh, tell us it's very important to establish the identity of a demon. I don't think that's what our Lord is doing here. I know that that's what goes on a lot of times, but I don't think that's what our Lord is doing. I think what our Lord is doing is essentially this. He is calling upon the demons to identify themselves in order that this man might know the misery that he's in. Yes, he understands it. That you and I might know again the the the, 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 the legion, the multitude that, uh, of evil that individuals have to deal with, and again, as I said before, I have to admit that there is a, a lot of interaction at this point as to as to what's going on here. That uh, that when um when um when the demon is asking uh, uh, Jesus the question, "What what have I to do with thee?" There there is in this uh, in this approach to exorcism, which again sometimes I'm, I'm reluctant to, to go along with but there is this approach that this it's the idea that you establish authority by way of question and answer and i don't know that that's what jesus is calling us to engage in i think that there is such power in the proclamation of the cross of jesus christ i think there is such power in the in the blood of our lord jesus christ i think that such bondage is broken when an individual comes to see and understand jesus christ as lord and savior i think there is such power in the life of holiness and sanctification I think all these things, again, are given to us in Scripture in order that we might be free from all of this. But anyway, the question comes up. J.C. Ryle, the great, uh, the great uh, English uh, uh, preacher of, uh, of a bygone era, says this. He says, The power of Satan appears in these awful words, which the unclean uh, spirit used when he asked, Our Lord, what is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. R- Ryle says this. We probably have, not the faintest idea of the number, the subtlety, or the activity of Satan's agents. We forget that he is a king over an enormous host of subordinate spirits who do his will. We should probably find, if our eyes were open to see the spirits, that they are about our path, about our bed, and observing all of our ways to an extent which we have no conception. In private and in public, in church and in the world, they are busy enemies ever near us whose presence we are, ne- we are not aware of. And so what Ryle is saying is this, it's not so much a, 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 a formula of exorcism, but rather what it's about is bringing us to an awareness of the host of wickedness that we must deal with. It's a fact that points to the reality of the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ is a great deliverer, Amen. that the host of hell cannot oppose the breaking in of his kingdom. It gets back to that again. It is the kingdom of Christ manifested in your lives in this present world. And while there is a world of darkness around us, the kingdom of God shines as a bright light on a city on a hill. And may we be that. The designation of the, of the demon as legion, again, has led many to say that what uh, the demon is referring to here is, that, is again the multitude of, of, uh, of, of demonic hosts within this man. What a, what, a, what a picture. You and I know what it's like sometimes to have three, four, five thoughts going back and forth in our head at the the same time. It's like, what is going on here? You and I know what it is to have so many thoughts rolling around in our head at one time that that it gives us a headache sometimes. You and I know what it is to fight off evil thoughts and wicked thoughts and all this. What is it to have this kind of a host inside of one? But our Lord Jesus Christ is able. He's able to deliver. You see, this is the emphasis here. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, again, by way, of the manif- by way of the manifesting of the nature of this demonic host, is pointing us to the reality of his ability to deliver, no matter how great the odds seem to be against us. And so the Lord Jesus Christ speaks with this authority. Again, we see here in verse, uh, in, in verse, uh, in verse uh, 9 and 10, And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answers, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was nigh under the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. Verse 13, verse 13, And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out. Again, I have to mention this. There's a lot of thought that's developed in this passage of scripture that I'm not going to enter into. I hope you don't feel disappointed by that. Part of my reason for doing that is because some of this goes in directions that I don't know that I that I would necessarily agree with. But what we see happening here is again the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. Questions come up: Why did the demons not want to be cast out of the of the area? All kind of questions come up. Demons assigned the area to a specific area. We don't know that. Other questions here: Why did they want to be in the uh, in 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 the, in the herd of swine? The suggestion seems to be to be embodied in something is better than to be disembodied in nothing. I, I, I can't speak definitively on this for you. And to be honest with you, that's not where I want my focus to be. Because whatever, whatever demons are or aren't, there's a Savior who's greater. That's the point. Amen. He delivers. And there's a lot that I don't know about this. And there's a lot that I don't need to know about this. I'm resting in an all-sufficient Savior. One who speaks to the sea and says, Peace, be calm. One who speaks to the demon and says, Be gone. One who saves my soul from sin. That's the Savior I'm looking at. Let the, let, let the pigs run where they want. I could care less. But I'm looking to this one who saved my soul. And I don't mean to, I, and let me say this, and I mean this sincerely, I don't mean to minimize these questions. These questions are, are, are all questions that are worth looking into and, and, and examining. But I'm here to preach Christ to you this morning, brothers and sisters. You see, I want you to see this Savior of, of miserable sinners. I want you to see a Savior, who, again, who was able to deliver a man who was oppressed by thousands of demons. You think you have it bad. Can I say it that way? What about that man? And Christ was able to save that man. And so, again, we have the command of, of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, to, uh, to the demons here. But the next thing that I want you to see here, the next thing I want you to see is the petition of the man after he is after he is saved from this oppression look in verses 15 and 18 and they came and they came to Jesus to see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid I want you to see something here again we have the account of the of the of the horde of demons leaving the man entering into the swine the herd of pigs running down the hill, drowning. Again, questions come up. Was it unethical for Jesus to, to have a herd of pigs run and destroy somebody's econ- economic ability to make money? Was it a form of, of animal cruelty? These questions actually come up. Yeah, I know. And, they, and, and theologians talk about these things. And one man answered it best. As if 2,000 pigs were worth one man's soul. You see, there is value in your souls, brothers and sisters, you see. And so whatever these questions may be, that's what it comes down to. Jesus had more compassion on that man's soul than about the 2,000 pigs that were probably butchered anyway and sold in the market the next day. That's what they were raised for, but that's a whole other thing. But the petition of this man... Here he is now. And they come to Jesus and they see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting, <clears throat> clothed, and in his right mind. <clears throat> and they were afraid. Look at the change here. <clears throat> Aren't you glad that faith in Christ makes a difference in your life? Aren't you glad that you're not the same person that you once were? Aren't you glad that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound? And here is this man now. How do we see him? He's sitting. He's not running around like a madman, like a maniac. He's not chasing people away. He's sitting, and I love the expression, he is clothed in his right mind. Oh, for for the people of God to be clothed in their right mind. Is it an amazing thing how sin affects the mind? Is it an amazing thing how sin affects the decision making? Is it an amazing thing how sin darkens the mind so that we think we're doing our best, we're doing the, the, what's best for us, when we're actually doing the, what's worse for us? Here's a man now sitting, and I love the expression "clothed in his right mind." Can't help but think of the passage in Isaiah 61, verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. The man was once naked. Now he's clothed with salvation. Oh, it's beautiful, you see. And so here is this man clothed in his right mind. It's it's a picture of salvation. It's the very peace that God promises. Sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. Again, imagine what the, what, what, what the townsfolk thought when they saw this. How did this come about? And I hope people have the opportunity to say that about you. How did this come about? Not in a bad way, but in a good way. I've said, to, I've said and forgive me for mentioning this often, but I've said to, to men in the prison, let your life be so different that when people look at you, the only thing that they can say is the only explanation for that man's life is God because I knew him before. I knew him when he was and you see the change so real may that be true in our lives as well and so here is this man now and what is he petitioning our Lord Jesus Christ notice here again in verse uh, in, in verse 18 and when he was coming to the ship he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him that's the mark of salvation brothers and sisters you long to be with the Lord Jesus Christ Yes, you understand you have responsibilities and callings here and now, but you long to be with your Savior. You long to be home with that one who loved you enough to give himself for you. And if you can't be with him again in heaven, you desire to be with him as you commune with him in prayer, as you commune with him around his word, as you commune with him in times of public worship. You desire to be where Christ is, and that's what this man wanted. As I said before, it's a very sweet thing to see, and it's the mark of what salvation is. Oh, you see, these, 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 these individuals—they they get saved, and they want nothing to do with Christ or His people. This isn't—this is really not what should be happening. But it is the mark of the people of God that when they get saved, they desire to be with Christ. <clears throat> and so here is this man desiring to come with Christ. And again, I would hope, and I would pray that by way of the, the ministry of the word of God here, that that desire is deepened within you. I would be failing as a pastor and a preacher if that wasn't developed within you. I hope and I pray you have a longing for the things of God. I hope and I pray that you love the sense of being, of being clothed in your right mind. I hope and I pray that you love the sense that you're no longer oppressed by conflicting thoughts or conflicting af- affections, but that now your thoughts and your affections are all focused on Christ. You see, this is the mark of salvation. The man desires to be with the one who saved him. The man desires to be with the one who loved him enough. So that's his petition. Let me be with you. But notice our Lord gives a commission here. And notice what we see here by way of this commission. Notice what our Lord says. Again, this is lovely as well. Our Lord Jesus Christ says to him, uh, again in, in in verse 19, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not. But saith unto him, go home to thy friends. Let me tell you something. Jesus knows when it's time for you to go home with him. Until then, you be busy about the task that he's called you to do. Yes, we want to get there, don't we? We want to get to heaven. We want to get home with our Lord. But our Lord knows when to bring us home. And until that time, we must be busy about his calling Notice again what we have here in verse 19. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith to him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. What a sight that must have been when that happened. Here was this man. It's interesting because when Jesus is ministering within within the confines of Israel, he never says to those who he heals or saves to go and tell certain things. He says, keep this quiet. He's waiting to unveil his messianic dignity and glory and mission for a, specific, for, for a specific time. But when he's in these Gentile areas, remember the woman at the well, go and tell. The, this man here, go and tell. And so what's interesting is that we have this, 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 this command to go, this commission. It's a commission to preach. And you might think to yourselves, well, how can this man preach? What does he know? He knows one thing. He's like the man He's like the man that was born blind in John chapter 9. That's another passage of scripture I really like. John chapter 9, the man's born blind. And he's being questioned by the Pharisees. And he says, look, I, I, the only thing I know is I was once blind and now I see. And this man is able to say, look, the only thing I know is once I was possessed by a horde of demons. And now I'm free. And you can say, oh, I was once in bondage to this sin and I was in bondage to that sin and now I'm free. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters. Point to Christ, you see. And so here's this man commissioned by our Lord Jesus Christ. But what it must have been. Have Have you ever seen somebody in the throes of their worst moment? And I don't mean like just having a bad day at work. I mean like disaster has either come upon them or they've been the instrument of disaster. I'm telling you it physically changes an individual's countenance. They look like different people. And then to see them afterwards when something is made right. Again, I forgive me for bringing this up again, but I remember again at the prison, forgive me for this, but m- met I was in the um I was in what was once, you know, the state uh Bridgewater State um hospital anybody that committed a crime would be would be would be committed there for for examination and I remember I met a, a man there he was he looked he was he was a wreck he was weighed down he was he was disheveled the whole thing but he came to the services I don't know if if my preaching had any effect on him or not I was not I was not the only one there but maybe about Maybe six to eight months later, I saw him in the general population. Honestly, I didn't recognize the guy at first. His countenance changed that much. What do you think this man's friends and family saw when they saw a man who was once a flat-out demoniac who couldn't be uh, held with chains, who continually cut himself over and over again, who was not in his right mind, now to see him at peace, now to see him in his right mind, now to see him speaking of this one who loved him enough to deliver him from that kind of affliction. It must have been an amazing thing. Here was a man who went home to friends and his friends, I'm sure, were just thrilled. If his mother was alive, he went home to his mother father was alive he says dad 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 let me tell you let me tell you of this jesus of nazareth oh you see the 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 commission of our lord jesus christ this this calling on those who have been saved from a world of sin and an eternity of hell you see this man kind of takes up what the psalmist spoke about in psalm 61 66 verse 16 when he says this come in here all you that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. I can't preach any better than that. God bless you, brothers and sisters.